Good morning, Grace. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is God's perfect and holy word. Are you in? That's the question. If you didn't know it already, here at Grace, we take our mission to make disciples serious. That's why we're kicking off this new series today entitled, Pictures of Disciple-Making. This is a series meant to prepare and equip us for Grace Gives and beyond. Jesus calls His followers, us, the Great Commission, right? The, the heart of what our calling is as Christians, to go and make what? Disciples. Not converts, not professions of faith, disciples. People who recognize their sin and rejection of God, turn to Jesus in faith to receive His forgiveness and adoption into His family, and then are sent out as ambassadors for Christ into the world. Grace Gives is, is just one way for us to mobilize our church to be on mission. Think of Grace Gives as sort of a one-week um, intensive course at college. Any, anybody ever take a one-week intensive where you do a, a lot of work up front and you kind of kind of crash course for a week and then you got post-work? That's, that's what Grace Gives. It's this intensive one week where we saturate our community with the gospel through sharing and serving and then we trust God to bring the increase. And then hopefully it spurs not just a week of being on mission, but a lifestyle of being on mission. That's the ultimate goal, church, right? Not just a week and check it off. It's are we living a life on mission? And it's all hands on deck. It's a week where it's all hands on deck. In other words, if you're thinking, oh, that must be for the young people. No, it's for all people. It's from the youngest of us at 97, 98 to the younger of us, all right? It's for all of us. We're coming out of a crazy year. There's, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of pain and confusion. This is not a time for our church to say, you know what? We're going to sit it out for a little while, let things cool down. And then we'll jump back in the game. That's not, that's not how we play this. That's not our play right now. This is the time for Grace Baptist Church to shine the hope of Christ in this world because that's what the world desperately needs. You're hearing, you know what? We were, the pastors were talking in the last couple of months about like how we continue to train our church and disciple. And, and the reality is most of us are being discipled by people on television. You realize you, spend, you probably spend hours and hours being discipled by politi partisan politics, and you get one hour from us. We're up against a lot. I get it. I get it. And the reality is it's going to be hard. To be a Christian in our culture, if you, if, in case you haven't figured it out yet, to be a Christian in our culture, in our world, is becoming increasingly difficult. But Jesus never promised it would be easy. Read the Gospels. He never said, come to me and I will make it easy. It's not in there. 
But he did say, in this world you have trouble, but you can still be of good cheer because I've already overcome the world. I've already defeated sin and death. You go out as my ambassadors. He does extraordinary things to ordinary people like you and me. So, pictures of disciple making. We're looking at uh, various parables or metaphors from the Gospels, from the very words of Jesus that, help, that describe what does it look like to be a disciple and what does it look like to make disciples. So, be fishers of men. That's next week. Or Jesus said, they made a parable about the different soils. You throw seed on soils. Or uh, being yoked to Jesus. What does that mean? Uh, take my yoke upon you. What does it mean to take up your own cross and follow me? All these things are pictures of what it looks like to be a disciple who makes disciples. And today's message is entitled, Joyfully Pursuing the Kingdom of God. Joyfully Pursuing the Kingdom of God. While the rest of the messages in this series focus on what it looks like to make disciples, this first message really gets at the motivation for making disciples. It's that we want to look at the heart before we start moving to kind of our hands. How do we do this? You see, unless you are convinced of the significance of your calling to make disciples, you will likely not make it a priority. There are so many other things right now vying for your time, your attention, and your affections. Today, I want you to be so compelled by the value of God's kingdom, by the value of the gospel, that you will do whatever it takes to pursue God's kingdom as your highest priority. Today, we're looking at two short parables which picture the kingdom of God as being priceless, worth any cost to obtain. Here's the thing, no matter what time period you live in, no matter what culture you live in, the idea of a hidden treasure is one that captures our imaginations, doesn't it? If, if you have kids, or if you ever were, were a kid, we, you know that the, the idea, the allure of a hidden treasure is, is, is exciting, right? That's why we make movies about it. That's why kids like to search for treasures. I took my kids to a friend's farm the other day, and they were just kind of, wait, there was no agenda, just kind of explore, just play, and they were kind of digging up stuff, and they found old bottles, and they started bringing them back to, the, to me and the owner of the farm. How old do you, you think this bottle is? And he's like, oh, well, well, that's a liquor bottle, but um, it looks like, it's like, I don't know, that's, that's a good bit old, it's like 40 years old. Ooh, they went out and looked for more bottles, and they kept bringing bottles back, and eventually they found this one bottle, and we looked it up. This is a water bottle. And it's from 1931. That's kind of old. If you're a person, you're just seasoned. But for a bottle, that's, that's old. Right? And it's intact. We looked it up on eBay. People are selling these. People are making money off of this. Just this old bottle. But it, and they were like, ah, oh, treasure! So they go back trying to look for more bottles. Right? Trying to find other goodies. You never know what you're going to find. People love looking for treasure. There's this allure that, that you might find something. In the, that's why people go to the beach, right, with those metal detectors waving them over the sand. That's why when you put on a pair of pants, right, or, an, or a jacket you haven't put on in a while, and you, and you find a few bucks in the pocket, and you're like, ha, ah, treasure! <laughs> Hidden treasure. In these two parables, the story is very simple. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. In both stories, both individuals find a treasure. One stumbles upon it. The other was actively searching for it. But when they did find it, 
they deemed the value of that treasure to be so great, they sold everything to obtain it. And Jesus says simply, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is how valuable the kingdom is. How valuable the kingdom of heaven is. What is the kingdom of heaven? That's a big question and I can't answer it uh, today. But let me just give you a quick, a quick uh, window into it. Listen, the whole Gospel of Matthew is about the kingdom of heaven, what it is. But basically the kingdom of heaven is the sphere of God's rule. It's where God reigns. Jesus came in Matthew 4. He connected His coming to the ushering in of the kingdom of heaven. So His first coming, Jesus ushers in this spiritual kingdom where He brings in us as part of His kingdom. And then he, He's rejected by Israel and so He is crucified and, he, and He's risen from the dead and He says, I'm coming back and I will usher in my earthly kingdom. You will see what it looks like to have a king reigning right here on earth over a kingdom that is perfect and amazing and glorious. The kingdom of heaven is now, and yet it's also the, what is to come. The message of the kingdom of heaven is a genuine offer from God to rule in your hearts, to rule in every heart for those who believe in Him and His name. And submission to His kingship is what brings true freedom. The first guy is a tenant farmer, verse 44. He doesn't own any land. He just farms it. And one day he stumbles upon a box, kind of like my kids stumbling upon a glass bottle. He doesn't, he doesn't take it out. He kind of wipes the dirt off of it. He opens it up and he finds it's full of treasure. Now remember, this wasn't a far-fetched idea back in this time period. There were no banks. There were no safety deposit boxes. If you had money or jewels or, or an heirloom, a family heirloom, the best way to protect your valuable, valuables where it was either you hide it in your house or for, if you wanted to go like the extra measure, right? I need, I need extra security. You bury it in your land. That way in case of robbers or an invasion, your valuables would be kept safe, right? If people rob your house, they didn't find it. it was, it's under there. You didn't see it. Archaeologists still find all the time jars of gold coins or precious jewels buried in the ground. In 2009, a guy named Terry Herbert, he's an amateur treasure hunter. He was using a metal detector on a farm in Staffordshire, England. Never done it before. It was a newly tilled farm. The owner let him, let him kind of do his thing on the farm. He stumbled upon a massive treasure. 3,500 objects dating back to the 6th century were discovered. 11 pounds of gold. 3 pounds of silver and jewels. In total, the whole treasure is valued at $4.1 million. In this parable, the man finds a hidden treasure. He stumbles upon it. And what does he do? He covers it back up and it says he sells everything he has in order to buy that field. Now, caution about parables. Parables are extended metaphors used to make a single point, a main point. We're not meant to get caught up in the legal or moral ramifications of whether it was, well, is it moral for this guy to, to kind of hide the treasure and then buy the field from a guy who didn't know that? That's not Jesus' point. 
His point is that he stumbles upon a treasure and he does everything he can to buy it, to get the field where that treasure is. In the second parable, a merchant, someone who knows what he's looking for, is looking for pearls. He's an expert on pearls. And he searches high and low and he's trying to find a pearl of great value. And and when he finds the one pearl, it says, one pearl of great value, verse 46, he went and did the same thing, sold all that he had to buy that pearl. Pearls back then were like diamonds today. They were incredibly valuable, rare. Cleopatra had a pearl that in today's dollars would probably be worth several billion dollars. Both of these men are see, see a value that others don't see. And they realize there's no halfway option for obtaining it. The benefits and rewards of obtaining that treasure to them are far worth the sacrifice. Think about the farmer. If you had asked this guy an hour before the discovery, if you had asked him an hour before about selling all that he had, he would have thought you were crazy. You think I'm going to sell everything I have to buy something? That's ridiculous. But an hour after finding the treasure, selling everything was the only logical option. What changed? What could have transformed his whole outlook? What had the power to reorder? Listen, what had the power to reorder his priorities, his goals, and his values? There's only one thing. The treasure. That treasure. It revolutionized his life. Do you see what being part of God's kingdom should do? It should reorder your priorities and your goals. It should revolutionize your life, but only if you see the treasure as that treasure. Only if you see that it's the pearl of great price, the treasure beyond value, will you do that. Listen, this treasure had a great cost. Imagine being this guy's neighbor, right? Imagine you're the neighbor of this tenant farmer. You know he's a great guy. You know, maybe, maybe he's kind of smart. He just hasn't you know, been able to own his own farm yet. He's kind. He's friendly. He's been kind of good with his money. He works hard. He's a blue-collar worker. He's doing what he's supposed to do. But now you see him come home, and he's selling his furniture off, and he's selling his car, and he's even putting putting a sign out in front of his home for sale, and you're like, what is this guy thinking? Everything's going out the door. You wonder, man, has this guy gone mad? Sell everything? Right, your, your grandmother's necklace, your, your dad's watch, your, your grandfather clock, your, your iPad, your TV, whatever you think is most valuable. Things that he's had since he was a kid. Things that meant the world to him. Maybe as a good neighbor, you even go over there and you try to talk some sense into him. Maybe you say, listen man, obviously something has changed and... And you seem really excited about this thing that you found, but, but this is craziness, okay? You can't just sell everything. You, you can't. You got to think about your family. You got to think about your livelihood. You got to think about your future. There has to be another way to, to get whatever it is that you think you're looking for. But was there another way? Was there? No. There was no other way. 
He knew it. He himself knew it. He knew that the treasure he had found was worth far more than all he owned, and yet it would cost everything for him to get it. And he doesn't just begrudgingly buy it. Look what it says in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then look at those three words. If you write in your Bible, I would highlight or underline those three words. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has. In his joy, he realized the benefits so outweighed the cost that the foolish thing to do would be not to sell everything. He'd be a fool not to sell everything. Isn't that a strange thing to say? The sacrifice of all that is sold is no hardship to him. He doesn't sell everything out of, out of duty, but out of delight. The guy with the fine pearl, he doesn't, he doesn't sell everything he has out of duty, out of, but out of delight. He knew the value of that pearl in his joy, in their joy. Listen, once you get a glimpse of the value, the true value of Jesus Christ, nothing else compares. Let me share three implications from these parables. First, Embrace the kingdom of God as your greatest treasure. Embrace the kingdom of God as your greatest treasure. The challenge to seeing the value of the kingdom or even seeing the value of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that it's hidden in an unexpected place. If you were looking for a treasure today, where would you go? Maybe a a wealthy person's home? A bank? A museum? Right? That's where, that's where valuables are kept. But God buries his greatest treasure in the most ordinary of places a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Everything about Jesus was opposed to greatness, wasn't it? He never owned a home, he never had a savings account. He was born poor. He never wrote any books. He never held any office. All of his disciples were basically losers. And he died on a cross. The most shameful execution reserved for the worst criminals. Does that look like greatness? Does that look like a valuable treasure to to anyone? No wonder, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that, that, that the gospel looks like foolishness who don't believe. Are you surprised when the world looks at Christianity and says, that is ridiculous? Are you surprised when the world says, we, we, I, I'm going to follow the Bible. I'm going to follow what God says, even when it challenges my thinking, even when it tells me to do things that I don't agree with. Are we surprised when the world says, that is ridiculous? And yet God says, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you have to dig deeper. You're going to have to dig deeper and see the value of this treasure. Look, some of you may not even be Christians today. 
Some of you watching, some of you are here, maybe a friend invited you, maybe, maybe you're seeking, you want to know what is the meaning of life, what is truth, Who is there a God? Or maybe some of you are here just because you're supposed to be here, right? A family member invited you or whatever, you're tuning in because someone said, hey, you got to watch this. I don't know, but Jesus is saying, if you want to see the true value of this spiritual treasure, you have to dig deeper. You have to see Jesus as more than just a good teacher or a religious figure. A lot of people think, yeah, sure, Jesus was great. He was one of the prophets that have taught us about how to live a good life. A wise guru who who gave us a good example of how to live a meaningful life. That is not what Jesus claimed to be. That is not who he claimed to be. Jesus literally said, I am the unique son of God. So what do we do with that? He literally said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Jesus claimed exclusivity, meaning there's no way to have a relationship with God except through him. There's no way to enter the kingdom of heaven except through him. No other religious leader claimed divinity. Buddha never claimed it. Muhammad never claimed it. Moses never claimed it. You name your religious leader, they never claimed to be God incarnate except Jesus himself. Either he's crazy, or he's the greatest liar in history, or he was who he says he was, the king of kings who ushered in a kingdom that cannot be thwarted that is advancing as his people recognize and submit to him. If you let that sink in, that what he has done for you in the gospel, it will change you. You see, the gospel, the message, you say, what is the message of the king? If there's a kingdom, then there has to be a king. And what does the king say? Right? The, the, what, what is the king telling us? Here's the message of the king. You have been alienated from your creator. The God who created you and put life in your very soul, you have rejected and and have been alienated from him, and yet he's not letting you stay alienated. He's not making war with you. He's willing to, to reconcile with you, but there's a cost to this battle. There's a cost to this fracture, and he's willing to bear the cost himself. And so he comes down in the person of Jesus, God's own son, lives the life you and I should have lived, dies the death you and I should have died bearing all the punishment for our sin, all the evil in the world. You say, I'm not that evil. I'm not like those killers out there. I know, I get it, but I know there's evil in my heart and you would not like to see it. You say, I'm not as evil as so-and-so. Okay, fine. Then go ahead. Let's write a list of your evils and let's just share it openly. Oh, so maybe it is worse than we think it is, right? I don't want you seeing mine. Jesus died for all of our sins, the greatest to the smallest, to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the King, and we can be forgiven, restored, set free, and it's not earned. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay for it. You simply receive it as a gift by faith. You simply bow before Jesus as your king in submission and say, Jesus, I believe you did everything for me to be reconciled to you. And he says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. That's the gospel. Listen, embracing the kingdom as your greatest treasure 
Here's one implication. It means finding your identity in Christ. Because in our culture, in our world, identity, listen to me, identity is often based on a number of factors nowadays. How successful you are, how smart you are, how, how wealthy you are, how good looking you are. Unless you are those things, you're not as, I'm sorry, you're not as valued as other people. And we know that. We, we feel that. That's why we're driven for those things. Ultimately, you know what that does though? That makes your identity, if, if you fall into, if we, if we believe that, that means we, we are thinking that, our, that, that we believe that our identity is performance-based and achievement-based. The problem with an achievement-based identity is that if you are successful or smart or you're liked, you can never be your true self. You say, what are you talking about? If I'm wealthy, then I have, I have everything. If I'm good-looking, then I have... No, you can't be your true self. You know why? Because if that's what your identity is built on, it, it, it will, it, it's not your true self. Because if you're building your identity on those things, then what happens when you get laid off? Then what happens if you have a friend who betrays you? Then what happens if you have a devastating diagnosis that affects your body? Then your identity is in crisis. Then who are you? Because that's what you built your identity on. Who are you now if you don't have those things? Jesus offers us a, a radically different way. It requires faith because you have to believe, truly believe, that giving up any earthly thing in order to follow him is the greatest deal ever. And it is. It is. Because Jesus offers you not reputation, and not status. He offers you life. Life. Not based on your performance, an identity not based on your achievement, but an identity based on grace. Just sheer grace. Loving you when you don't deserve it and don't expect it. It's grace upon grace. Name one thing in this world that can give you life. Go ahead, get a piece of paper out and start writing a list. What can give me life? Nothing. Money in the bank can't do it. Well, that's good to have. A successful career can't do it. Well, that's good to have. Getting married, having children, all those are good things to have. They can't give you life. But Jesus can give you life. How can, you, how can you know you're getting a good deal from Jesus? How can you trust that if you put, every, put your life in his hands, if you put everything in his hands, he will make good on his promise of giving you life? How can you know if you sell everything you have, in a sense, if you're willing to, to forsake whatever it takes to follow, how can you know? You know how you can know? Because of the cross. That's how you can know you're getting a good deal. That's how you can know that it's never wasted. Because when you let the gospel sink deep into your soul, the good news that Jesus is the Christ, God's King, and He came to earth as a man, not to sit on a throne at first, but to suffer on a cross. That He gave up His identity so that you could have one. And He did it all because He loves you. Jesus didn't just make a decision for you, He made a commitment to you. 
He promised, I will love you always. He, he, he's like, like in the book of Ruth. Ruth bound herself to Naomi. I will be with you no matter what. Jesus binds himself to you and says, I will be with you no matter what. When you let that sink in and you believe it, everything begins to change. You realize, even if you don't get the grades that you wanted, or you don't get into the school of your dreams, or you lose that relationship, your identity is not lost. You're still loved by the one who matters most. You have a Savior, Christian. You have a Savior who if you fail Him, He already died to save you and forgive you. And He promised to never leave you. These parables teach us what Jesus came to do. What He came to usher in is so valuable we can't even fathom its worth. Is the kingdom of God valuable to you? Enough to change how you live. Second, the treasure of the kingdom brings great joy. The farmer, in his joy, sold everything. You say, how come there's joy in selling everything that he had? Again, it's because he knew he was getting far more than he was giving up. If you give yourself to the king of heaven, if you bow in submission to Jesus as king, and he makes you a son or daughter of the king. He brings you in to the family of the king. You become royalty. If you give your life to Jesus, he gives you a new nature. And he'll eventually transform you, by, you know, day upon day, grace upon grace. Eventually he transforms you. And into one day you're going to be something so radiant, so magnificent that C.S. Lewis says, if you were to see your future self, you would be tempted to worship yourself. You're going to be that glorious. That's what the king has started in you. It's, it, you're going to be you. Just a glorified you. A you that Jesus is slowly transforming now and will one day glorify. That's why there's great joy. These men know that in finding this treasure, it changes everything. It would change them deeply. Being a Christian should revolutionize every part of your life. When you realize the treasure you have in Christ, in the gospel, the very presence of God in you and with you, it should make your heart explode with joy. You realize that's one of the reasons why God created the church. So that we could be reminded of what Christ has done and so that should, it should well up as joy. Joy, you hear me? I can't see your faces, but I hope there's smiles under there when you're thinking about Jesus and not just lunch. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I think sometimes we actually don't believe the words of Jesus. We don't believe that He came to give us joy. We don't believe that He came to fill us with His joy. Here's a guy who was going to go to a cross. Here's a guy who's going to be beaten and, and mangled and rejected and shamed, and yet he's talking to his disciples and said, I came to make your joy full. Full. As citizens of the kingdom, we're called to share this message of the kingdom, this good news 
Are you doing that? Are you sharing the message in a way that shows it's a message of great joy? Does your life reflect the fact that whatever you've given up to follow Jesus, that it's in your joy? If you hold to a Christian sexual ethic, but your friends know that you kind of hate it, is that joy? If you give part of your finances to, 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 to make the gospel known among the nations, do, do people see that it's in your joy? Do your kids see it's in your joy? Or do you, do you mumble, I'm going to write that check again? I don't know. We don't write checks anymore, right? Online. In his joy. Ah, I can speak about it all day. Next. Third. The treasure of the kingdom demands your everything. At the core, this is a call for radical discipleship in light of the overwhelming value of God's kingdom. It might sound like, like we're coming, I'm coming down hard because I'm, going to, because I'm saying to you, Jesus doesn't just want a decision for, from you. You don't just make a decision for Christ. He wants you to make a commitment to Christ. There's a, there's a difference. I did a wedding yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding outside. Husband and wife stand before each other and they made vows to one another. It wasn't, say, it wasn't like, I'm going to love you if you do this. These were vows of promises of for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and his health, so long as we both shall live. When you think about it, those are crazy vows to make. It's a commitment. When you, accept, when you enter the kingdom of God, you enter it by accepting Jesus as Savior, as a gift. But when you do that, when maybe some of you accepted him as a child, some of you later in life, when you do that, most of us has, have no idea what it costs when we first accept Christ as Lord. We know that it's free. We know we don't have to do anything to earn it, but we know there's still a cost to it, right? When we accept Jesus as King, the one who has the ultimate rule and authority over our lives, there should be a, a growth process that's happening over time in your small groups, in your Bible studies, in your friendships. You guys should be having conversations. Is there growth happening so that over time you can be able to say little by little, more and more, I'm not saying you got to be perfect, but little by little, by God's grace, you can say more and more, Jesus is becoming more precious to me. That I'm willing to suffer any loss, give up anything to follow Jesus. That doesn't happen overnight for most of us. But I will say this. If you are afraid to share the gospel with others, then your image is more important to you than Jesus. If you are too busy to build relationships with non-Christians and have spiritual conversations with them, then your schedule is more important to you than Jesus. If you refuse to give generously to further the work of God's kingdom, your money may be more important to you than Jesus. But Jesus is saying, listen, I, I'm not going to guilt you into this. I want you to see the value of the treasure so that you can say, in my joy, not in, just in this guy's joy, not in his joy, in my joy, in your joy. Jesus has shown us two sides of the same coin in this parable, in these parables. He demands far more from you 
and will give far more to to you than ever you could ever imagine. He demands far more from you and will give far more to you than you could ever imagine. The gospel will cost you in some way. Being on mission for Christ will cost you. It will mean sacrificing your time, your energy, your resources, maybe your reputation. But here's the real question. Here's the question I just, I'll just kind of end with. Is it, is it really expensive? Is the cost of following Jesus expensive? The answer is, it depends on what you get, right? Let me ask you a simple question. Is $500 expensive? I don't have $500 in here, just say no. Um, Is $500 expensive? Thank you. It depends on what it is, right? Most of you are like, yes, that's a lot of money. Okay, yeah, it is a lot of money. But is it expensive? I didn't say it's a lot of money. I said it's expensive. I mean, that's a nonsensical question, right? Is is it expensive for what, right? Is $500 expensive for a, a hairbrush? I mean, you use it every day, don't you? Most of us use one of these today. This is a daily vital tool. I, I, almost had, I had a hammer at first, like, do you need a hammer? A hammer's good too, but most of us are like, I don't use it every day. Some guys use it every day, but, but you probably use this every day. Every day. They could price gouge us for these and we'd still need one. But let's be honest, $500 for this, that's too expensive. We know it. Intrinsically, we're like, no, I'm not spending $500. But what if I offered you the keys to a new house and said, hey, $500. The keys are yours, the house is yours, it's paid for, no more time. You just live it and enjoy it all. Is $500 expensive? No. And here's what I know. Even if you're flat broke, you know what you're going to do? If I say $500, I don't have the account of my own buying this. What is it, gold? No, it doesn't matter. It's not $500. You want these keys to the house? Guess what you're going to do if you're flat broke? You're still going to come up with $500. You're going to knock on every door. You're going to talk to every family member. You do whatever it takes to get that house because it's not expensive. It's a steal. The kingdom of God may cost you everything. But is the kingdom of God expensive? Not at all. You see, when you accept Jesus, you enter the kingdom, you give up nothing because you've gained everything. On December 4th, 1857, David Livingstone, who gave up the riches of living in England as a medical doctor, decided to serve and give the rest of his life as a medical missionary in Africa to reach people, groups that have never heard of the gospel. He literally gave his life for them. He died on their land. He was, he was so beloved by the people groups that he met with and connected with that, that they buried him in their land. That he, he didn't want to be sent back to England. He buried him there. There was such a love. And he explored places that had never been explored before. And people said to him, you're an idiot. You're crazy. Why are you doing that? Why are you leaving? For You could have all the benefits here in England. Why? Why? And he stood up in front of some students in Cambridge University and he said these words, quote, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, 
the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter. Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather that it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, yes, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this be only for a moment. All these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. End quote. He died alone, suffering from a disease in Africa. And yet he said, yeah, I never made a sacrifice. Listen, I read that and I don't feel that same way. I feel like there's a lot of sacrifice. I feel like the, anxiety, the things he listed, anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger, those kind of are big deals to me. They've kind of hurt me and affected me in significant ways. And I, I don't know, but notice what he, how did he maintain this perspective? How does he keep following Jesus with joy? He keeps pointing to the future, future glory. They're but a moment. Nothing when compared with the glory. He basically is quoting Paul, Romans 8, 17. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that we revealed in us. You don't have to go to Africa to feel that way. You can live right here. And the challenge is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Are you embracing the kingdom as your greatest treasure? Are you experiencing the joy of following Christ and sharing Christ with others? And then I'll ask practically, what needs to change in order for you to grow as a disciple of Jesus? And what needs to change in order for you to prioritize making disciples of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, We need you. We need you because there are so many things that are being held out in front of us that seem to appeal to our hearts to have a value that will... Things that are being held out promising things to us. It's hard, Lord. I admit it's hard for me to cut through the chaos and the noise and to see your kingdom treasure as the most valuable ever to find my identity my rest my life in the finished work of christ alone not in my work not in my status not in my relationships lord would you help us as individual christians and as a church to keep treasuring you above all else Would you help those maybe even right now in this moment who have never turned to Christ? They maybe have had their objections. They've had their complaints about Christianity. They've had their concerns and issues. But right now, maybe there's a way that that your spirit has, has drawn them to yourself in a supernatural way, in a way that I could never do. We know that your gift of salvation is a miracle. 
I pray that you would work that miracle right now as people turn to you and say, in whatever measure of faith they have in this moment, Jesus, I know I've not been living for you. I, pr- I trust you as my Savior and King. I invite you to lead my life. God, I pray that this would be a church where your gospel is so valuable. Nothing is considered a sacrifice. Not a day off of work, a week off of work. Not, not just basic, ordinary things like showing up to church every week to be a blessing to the church family, to sit under your word, to giving faithfully, to spending time in a small group and giving up that time. Whatever it looks like for each individual, God, work in our hearts that you might keep shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.